0: Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. City on a Hill is the young adult Catholic ministry in Kansas City. Our mission is to be the community that inspires and forms our generation to be saints. We hope that this episode can offer some inspiration to your life as well as give you a glimpse into our community.
1: Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. Where we share stories from the lives of Catholic young adults in Kansas City and potentially beyond, although we're still very new, so it's just going to stay in Kansas City for now. Uh, <laughs> my name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I'm the director of City on a Hill, and I'm here with Dane Finney, our assistant director, Woo! and Megan Haller, who's our guest tonight. Uh, welcome, Megan. Thank
0: you. Excited to be here.
1: How's your day been?
0: It's been good. I'm glad that it's Friday. So weekend
1: yeah awesome good Dan. I think you're telling me beforehand you have some sort of story I to do share have with a us story. tell us
2: okay so here's the story it went away what well, how annoying I really it literally just walked away out of my brain hold on oh I got it I got it <laughs> the story yeah the story <laughs> Um, okay, nice. so the story is... I thought you
1: meant the recording went out no, or something. No, no, no,
2: no. <laughs> Dear listeners, we've had a trip setting this up today. Um, it's a, it's unfortunate that I'm the techie one in the room. <laughs> um, but the story for today is, a Father is actually met a friend of mine. Ready? So um, a Father met a friend of mine through um, Focus and Seek, and they Alex is just a goofball. And so I called her today and say, Hey, Al, just so you know, I... I actually said to father today, I had no idea that this is actually what happened. I just was being cheeky. And I said, um, hey, father, today, uh, I'm pretty sure, did you feel the earth shake? And he just kind of laughed at me and he goes, why? And I said, because Alex Rodriguez moved back to the Midwest. And I didn't actually know if she did today. Come to find out, I called her to see how she was doing. she was like just move just moving back to the Midwest today. And um, she's moving back from Washington State. And she's just one of my closest friends. So she's now only three hours away. And um, anyway, I just said that we were wishing her well as she was moving to the moving back. And she was like, Oh, my gosh, Father cares. Thanks so much. You know, her whole family had me on speakerphone as they're moving her back. And she just felt really welcomed back. Into the good old Midwest, we missed her. It's been two years. It's been too long. So, anyway, that's my fun story.
1: Isn't she from Hastings, Nebraska? She is the home of Kool Aid. Yes, (laughs) yes,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Thank goodness for whoever in that little town came up with Kool Aid. (laughs) When I was a kid, I used to love making Kool Aid, and I remember one time I put in you know, we, we had a sort of a little Tupperware thing of all the different flavor packs, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I'd flip through there and, and pick which flavor. And I remember one day, um, cause I'd always get sort of barely like a sniff of the powder, like yeah. as I was pouring it in and I was like, Oh, that <laughs> smells really good. And so one day I was like, I'm just going to take a deep draft of this. So I pour it in the pitcher and then I just stick my face in it and just <laughs> inhale. And I swear I was joking for about 10 minutes. Uh,
2: Pepper spray, Kool Aid, yes. whatever. It takes. Yes. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I learned my lesson there. Um, yes. But uh, I don't hold it against Kool Aid. I still enjoy it from good. time to time.
2: <laughs> Alex, hint, hint, send it. Yes. <laughs> send it to Kansas City. H- yes. Uh,
0: ice blue flavor. Kool Aid um, sponsors in <laughs> uh, Coming soon.
1: Good. Well, maybe, Megan, we can start before getting your sort of whole life story with, I just learned like an hour ago that you wrote a book.
0: I did, yeah.
1: It's, tell Yeah, tell us about the book you wrote.
0: I did. Um, so it will be, I think, four years in August of this year uh, for when it was published. It took me about two and a half years to write it, so I think I started early in 2014. Uh, writing was never something that I was into. I hated writing growing up. Like English was my least favorite subject. Um, I was much better at math and science, and, which is more in line with what I do now as a physical therapist. But um, I went on two mission service trips in high school to Honduras. And uh, my aunt, actually, on the first trip that I took, she gave me a journal and she's like, You know, I just thought you might like to write down some thoughts and um, just things you wouldn't want to forget on your trip. It's like, Oh, that's great, great idea. You know, thanks, Andy. Took it with me and I mean, it changed everything. I wrote everything down. People were making fun of me. They were like, you're up at 2 a.m. Like, with your flashlight on. You need to go to bed. Like, (laughs) so I'm just writing everything that happened, any thought I had. And uh, I went on five more trips the five years after that. So I had six journals total of stuff. And it was one night. I think I was on winter break. Um, One of my last years of undergrad at the zoo And I just couldn't sleep one night. I had so many thoughts rolling around in my head about my experiences and so many people asking me questions about, you know, how, you know, what did you think about this? How did that go? And I just thought, well, I'm going to pull out my computer to start writing and we'll see where it goes. And I think I looked up and it was like two in the morning. I thought, okay, I think I've got enough out of my head now that I can go to sleep. And it just kind of started as just getting stuff out of my head. And from there turned into, well, maybe I can turn this into a blog. Like I can make a blog post out of it, Hmm. little newsletters and send it to people who want to know more. And then I got to a point where I had so much written, it kind of started turning into chapters. And I was like, you know, I think I could turn this into something more substantial. Um, So two and a half years later, I had enough to kind of publish a book. And it's, yeah, just kind of about the story of the different trips I went on and kind of how I found my faith a little bit more through those experiences and the people I met, so there's a lot of people listed in the book, anybody who was with me on the trip, a lot of people find their names in the book, which was really fun, but yeah, just about six years worth of experiences
2: abroad.
1: Wow. What was the most memorable experience from those trips?
0: Um, I think I would have to say the first year I went, I was a junior in high school, and we visited a malnutrition center. And so this specific center took kids in that were in, I want to say, stage three of malnutrition, which is pretty severe. Um, without any kind of care or like added fortified <laughs> nutrition, these kids would not survive. Um, and it was a center that had been run by kind of like an out branch of the organization we were working with. So we went to drop off a bunch of donations and kind of spend time with the kids because they're living at the center away from their families. Um, some of their families come to visit, some didn't. And so just having, like, human interaction was good and healing for them, too. So we went and visited. And I remember there was this one little girl who I had never seen a, a child so distressed mm-hmm. and so much pain and just, it was heart-wrenching. Um, and I think for the first time in my entire life, I thought I'm actually holding world hunger in my hands. You, know, you read about it all the time, but to actually hold a child that's physically starving to death was unlike any other experience I'd ever had. Hmm. Um, so that weighed really heavy on me throughout the whole rest of the trip. Um, honestly, throughout the whole rest of the year, we came back, and my senior year of high school, I got to go on the trip again, which was great. There were only a few of us mm-hmm. that were able to go twice. We went back to the same malnutrition center, same little girl, still there. Um, which again was like heartbreaking in a totally different way. Like, it's been a whole year, like trying to think back, like what had I done in my life for an entire year, and this girl spent her whole hmm. life at the same place, you know, still a little bit better, but still kind of like fighting for her life. And I remember spending most of my time, you know, just kind of her getting used to me. You know, she was very shy and you know not super social. And I remember about five minutes before we left the Mount Nutrition Center, um, a friend and I were kind of playing with her. And I remember her smiling for the first time I had seen, and the two times I'd seen her. Wow! And after that, I mean, she—it was almost like a flip, like a switch flipped, and she started playing with the other kids, and she was way more interactive and social. And just to see that, I kind of felt like this sounds a little bit selfish to say, but I felt like I had a little bit of closure too, you know, seeing Hmm. that kind of full circle because I knew the year after that I was going to be going to college, like I probably wouldn't have the opportunity to come back with that organization again and have any kind of follow up or connection with this little girl and so to leave that place knowing like okay she's in good hands like she's gonna be okay she'll be taken care of not that she wasn't but I just had this this closure and this great feeling of peace I guess leaving her that day
2: so that's why I stayed up till two in the morning writing that night just just getting it all out yeah yeah yeah, of course
1: oh that's great yeah I I think we're Maybe getting into your, I'm, I'm sure that plays a part in your overall yeah. sort of story of faith. But uh, yeah, do you, do you remember her name by chance?
0: I do. Um, her name was Novia, hmm. which girlfriend? If I remember correctly is girlfriend in Spanish. So <laughs> I don't know. I just remember her. that. That's, yeah. Nice. Novia.
1: So. Nice. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. Well, I guess kind of moving backwards from there, sure. maybe just tell us from... As early as you can remember, maybe in the womb, if you can remember. <laughs> you can remember back <laughs> I don't know if you can remember back that far. Um, you know, all the way up to yeah, the present day.
0: But Okay. Um, well, I'll briefly jump back to maybe elementary school time period. Um, I remember and it was something I reflected on later in life. I don't think I really recognized it at the time, but just this feeling and not all the time, but just here and there of like feeling a little bit invisible and not in a way that I felt like. You know, I didn't have friends. Like I always had a lot of friends and you know, great social system, great family. Um, But for some reason growing up, I always felt like people ran into me all the time. And I'm like, am I not here? You know, I never like, I don't know. It never caused a big problem. I just in the back of my head thought, wow, I feel really invisible right now. Hmm. Um, And I was always the quiet kid. I was like the shyest kid in the class. My mom will tell stories of I had to read a book to the class in first grade. We wrote books and had to read them. And I stood up there and cried because I was like, why, why do I have to do this? This is, this is miserable. Um, but my teacher made me do it. She was like, you're going to stand here and you're going to read this book. And if you have to cry through it, that's fine. So a little bit mortifying for a first grader, but. Um,
1: that's, that's how I feel every time I have to preach.
0: Really? That's, that's encouraging. <laughs> I, like, I feel well, better Mom. now.
1: <laughs> just kidding. Totally kidding. So,
0: um, <laughs> but I think that that was a looking back, I think that was a good experience. And I think looking back to that even later in life, like I forced myself into positions in high school and in college where I was leading trips to different countries, where I was running meetings all the time. And I, I forced myself kind of out of my shell. And people who meet me now are like, you were the quiet kid back in the day? Like, I'm not super loud these days, but people are just really kind of shocked by that. Um, and so, so slowly kind of coming out of my shell in high school – um, I went on those two mission trips, like I talked about earlier, um, and from from those two trips, kind of that kind of sparked something in my heart. I was like, gosh, this is what I feel called to do. Like I don't know if that's a full- time thing, be a full-time missionary. like, mm-hmm. you know, join an organization um, where I'm constantly traveling the world in whatever capacity. Um, but this is something I have to continue doing. And so, I got to college and found another organization, um, Global Brigades, is the name of it. And I got to do some medical work and public health work um, in a couple of different countries in Central America. And I mean, that was the trip that I looked forward to every year. You know, I was in in school doing undergrad things, but that was even if I was up till midnight or later doing stuff for these trips. Like that's what really kind of fueled my heart. Like that's where my fire was. Um, and so, I was able to do three more of those trips when I was an undergrad. And then I actually got to do one when I got into physical therapy school. We had um, a trip. It was physical and occupational therapy students. And some of our professors uh, went down to Guatemala and we fit patients with wheelchairs, walkers, crutches, a bunch of other assistive devices. And that was the first time that I got to kind of fuse my passions, I think. So the passion for service, um, especially international service, and my passion for physical therapy it was like combined at the same time and it was it was a wonderful experience um so yeah i don't know international service is kind of where my heart lies and it's actually been 5 years since that i've been able to do anything um, i had two trips planned for this year and covid kind of threw that out the window so um wrestling with God a little bit about that. And I was like, you know, you gave me these two experiences this year. I've been looking forward to for the past year and and now they're gone. And trying to kind of, trying to kind of process that has been um, a little bit difficult. So
1: Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing. I, I know um for me, sort of my first uh I guess instance of being opened up to something more than just what you might call like a self-centered happiness happened sure. through a mission trip mm-hmm. um, where I was 15 sort of discovering the joy that comes from just living for other people, sure. you know, yeah. not myself. How would you say like these trips have impacted your relationship with God and and just sort of your your desire to uh, grow in, in love of him?
0: Sure. Um, you know, I think all of us, not even just growing up but in everyday life. You know, we want to change the world. We want to do big things. And you know, I definitely had that feeling growing up and I one of the big things I learned through these trips was you know, maybe I'm not going to be some big name that anybody's ever going to remember. But that's okay. You know, I don't have to change the whole world, but I can change individual worlds, meaning hmm. like individual people's lives. And so kind of focusing in more on the the people right in front of me instead of You know, I have to start a big organization. I have to like leave my name, make a mark, all that kind of stuff sort of became way less important versus just kind of taking care of and being attentive to the people that are right in front of me. And so, you know, on those trips, we were spending long hours, you know, in the sun, a lot of times working or, you know, running medical clinics. And you're just right there Mm -hmm. in the moment with the person right in front of you. You know, if they're presenting with some kind of ailment, if we were doing a medical clinic or dental clinic or we're helping build a water system for their community like that was life right there like i was i was Mm. helping i was changing things and it's not something that's going to affect the entire country but it's going to affect these specific people's lives and you know coming to the realization that that meant more than anything huge and and you know rah rah was was really great
1: yeah no great um And now you're doing PT work just at a hospital in town?
0: Yeah. I work at a hospital here in Kansas City. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. How would you say the last few years have looked for you in terms of um, you're a young adult in the middle of the world? How do you try and sort of live, you know, a lot of people like the word, you know, missional, right? Like sure. Sort of, a, yeah. sort of a fancy Catholic hipster word right now, like to live a missional life. <clears throat> um, how do you try and do that? Daily, like how do you try and encounter the Lord each day and how do you help other people encounter Him?
0: Yeah. Um, So, coming out of graduate school, uh, I wasn't exactly sure where I wanted to end up. So, I ended up moving to the West Coast for about a year and a half. I was a traveling physical therapist. So, I had three different jobs out there um, two in Washington State and then one in California. And, you know, like going back to what I was saying earlier about growing up being really shy, like moving, you know, 13 plus hours away from home was never something I would have thought I was going to do as a young child. And, but those experiences were really, really hard, but very formative. You know, I was hours and hours away and multiple time zones away from most of the people I knew. A whole different work setting. I was living with people I didn't know. The closest person most of the time was several hours from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so trying to, you know find my faith on my own a little bit you know most of the churches i was going to were older adults um, married couples families you know and i was this person that just moved to town you know the first town i moved to was about 30,000 people which sounds a little bit bigger but there were not a lot of young people there um most of the people i was hanging out with were the friends of the lady i lived with and she was about my parents age so <laughs> not a lot of social interaction with people my age um but just kind of learning to live into the uncomfortableness of that situation and knowing that no matter where in the world I was, like God was still there. Um, and my jobs at the time were very difficult. I was constantly thrown into very unpleasant situations, just expected to know how to do things as a new grad, which is incredibly stressful. And so, you know, day after day, I was constantly going to the Adoration Chapel in tears, just like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, I feel like you called me to do this. But now I feel like there's no help here and I feel completely stranded. You know, what What do I do? Um, and there's a lot of that, you know, first job that I had that I honestly don't remember. I think I was just so overwhelmed and so stressed and all I could do was just pray my way through it. And I know looking back now, I'm like, I made it. You know, I have positive memories of it now, but at the time it was not something I enjoyed. Um, but I think for my faith, it was huge. Like it took hmm. a huge leap of faith moving there and, you know, being able to get through that experience. Um, And then about a year and a half ago, moved back to Missouri, um, specifically here to Kansas City. And I knew quite a number of people here. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to have friends around again. It's a great city on a hill community, which I had already been introduced to a couple of years prior, living with a friend here during grad school for a little bit. But even in that case, I was honestly afraid of coming back to comfort. You know, I'm so used to being uncomfortable now and figuring, navigating that, figuring that out on my own. Now I'm coming back to being completely surrounded by people mm. that I'm familiar with and comfortable with. Like, how is that going to look? So I was even more afraid of comfort than than the opposite. Um, kind of going back into like a more college I felt like more college style where I was constantly surrounded by friends from our Newman Center at my university and just had a little bubble almost around me versus you know, kind of breaking that bubble to move so far away. And so coming back into life here was a little bit rocky at first. Um, but now, I, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I've found some of the best people I've ever known here through Sydney Hill and Kansas City. And uh, my job is wonderful. I finally feel like home at work, which is great so
2: three years in the making sounds like yeah yeah I think specifically the the it was interesting when you shared something about being out there and being stressed and overwhelmed right yeah and then um I have two two parts to this question who is it that you you called out there what was it that gave you perspective of yeah this is you're kind of your sounding board so to speak you know you said you went to the adoration chapel and sure and had that but you you have to have the real life contact to to help encourage you even go to adoration right uh that's not always the natural step for people and then fast forward to present day mm-hmm. and you're uncomfortable again mm-hmm. but because it's an attractive environment yes <laughs> um what was that like what prompted you to to have, find the courage to get back in With the comfort, so to speak.
0: Sure. Um, So, first question I ended up living with, um, I mentioned a lady about my parents' age, the first job that I had in Washington State. And I found her through the one Catholic church in town. So, I was having a hard time finding housing. And I had a friend who just kind of offhandedly mentioned, you know, try calling the Catholic church, see if there's somebody through the parish office that might be able to find you housing. And I was like, okay, like this is. Like my last resort, I'll I'll do it. Okay, <laughs> so I call and I kid you not, within an hour I got a call back um, from a lady. Her name is Cheryl. She's still one of the best people I know. I talk to her all the time. Oh, <laughs> um, and she was like, "Hi, like my name's Cheryl. I actually just had another traveling nurse who was living with me and moved out, and you're more than welcome to move in with me. I've got like extra bedrooms, and you know, it's just me. And rent was incredibly cheap. And I just got." really really blessed with her and she was very involved in the catholic church which was actually i mean i could see it from our house if i crossed the the soccer field at the elementary school next door i was in that oration chapel it was like oh, quarter wow. of a quarter mile um so i really had a, no excuse not to go because i could wow. i could walk there or stop on my way home from work everything in town was like five minutes apart so it wasn't wasn't huge um and honestly she at the time became my like immediate sounding board i felt like because that's who i was living with and i've i've told her this before i sh- i would not have stayed at that job if it wasn't for her um i don't think i would have stayed at that job if i would have not have been able to find somebody who was able to connect me back to my faith um cuz we'd go to church together on sundays mm-hmm. and she was having her prayer group uh, her like um book club group over to the house and she'd invite me to like kind of join in. And so I felt like I was constantly being kind of plugged in to things um, as best I could without a huge, like young adult population to connect to. So she was my immediate sounding board. And then, I mean, I have I have amazing friends. I had so many people that were always reaching out to me about things. They knew that I was struggling. And for me to be able to let people know that I was struggling was also a big hurdle that I had to overcome. It was like, Megan, you're out here by yourself. You don't have to do this alone. Hmm. And so just checking in with people, letting them know, like, hey, I really, this has really been difficult for me. Like, can you pray for me? Or um, I had friends come out and visit me in Washington state, you know, I'd yeah. pick them up. The closest airport was an hour and a half, but I'm like, I will go anywhere if people are willing to come visit me. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> all the way from Missouri. So yeah, she was my immediate sounding board. Um, and then, yeah, so many friends all the time. I felt very well connected and very loved that far away which sometimes can feel hard when it's FaceTime or it's texting or email, but I never felt alone out there. Um, and then your second question coming back to Kansas city. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was definitely afraid of coming back to comfort. Um, you know, I settled here, let's see, December of 2018. So the end of the year started my job at the end of January. Um, And quickly through work found great relationships with my coworkers. Most of them are a little bit older than me, but I'd never had that kind of support system at work, like a permanent one anyway. Um, And so, and working at a Catholic hospital too, I felt like helped a little bit because I just felt a little bit more at peace at work. Um, And having coworkers who were Catholic and I could constantly talk to them about different issues or, you know, when are you going to mass this weekend or just different stuff within the church or within our um, a parish life um, and I moved back with two friends that i known from college so kind of being able to settle into a routine with them was good um, instead of having to move in with people I didn't know um, but yeah it's kind of still I've, I've been here a year and a half and I feel like I'm still kind of figuring it out and there are days when I feel like wow, I was so lax today like today was just too comfortable like what mm-hmm you know, what, what can I do to, you know, I don't know. Get like, outside yourself. Get out, yeah. Get outside myself again. Cause I was always outside mm-hmm. of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. um, on the mission trips, living, you know, living on the West coast. And so,
2: yeah, and I think, I think that's a real gift that you're transparent about that because, um, you're attuned to the fact that you want to be pushed and challenged and, and that is the life of a Christian, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, It's just having the eyes to see it.
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And I think it's, is it JP too? I said, like, we're not called to comfort, like we're called to greatness. And so that's something that kind of just rolls around the back of my mind a lot too.
2: Since you've been here, what are, what are ways that you've been called to greatness specifically since being back in Kansas city that, that you've really felt an invitation from the Lord to say, no, this is the way come, come towards greatness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, my immediate thought goes to work, um, I feel like as a physical therapist, so I work in the hospital. Um, so patients that are admitted to the hospital, whether that's ICU or they've had a you know, knee replacement, hip replacement, any hospitalized patient um, are the ones that we see. And I work at a geriatric hospital. So it's mostly older, older patients, which is a lot of fun. I In PT school, I thought, oh, I'm going to do pediatrics, like working with elderly people is totally not my jam. Like I'm never going to do that. And now I can't imagine doing anything else. Oh, wow. So it's a lot of fun. Um I feel like in my job, it would be easy to cut a lot of corners and I won't go into like all the details of that, but, you know, every day it's a constant battle to like do the right thing, whether that comes to like, you know, doing the extra thing that the patient asked me to do instead of being like, oh, so-and-so can do that for you. Or, um, you know, when it comes to like billing for my time, like trying to be exact to the minute and not like, oh, I can fudge a couple minutes here or there. You know, nobody's ever going to know. Um, so just constantly being like on guard of things that could pop up that are just easy to, you know, make myself look better essentially. Um, I've had a lot of patients who, you know, working with elderly population, we do have a number of patients who end up going on hospice or who don't make it. Um, and that can be a really difficult time, but also I feel like a joy too to kind of be there with them on those last maybe few days um, especially, you know, we've had some patients pass the last couple of weeks, months, I guess, with all this COVID stuff going on yeah. and a lot of family members not being able to be around for people's last little bits of life. And, um, so trying to navigate that with patients and kind of, you know, being there with them through that and, um, or helping them call family members or, um, sitting with them, just listening to stories, you know, everyone's so busy in any job but especially at the hospital you're constantly running around from patient to patient you're you know trying to be productive because it's your job and (laughs) but also like we're all human too and everybody just wants to be listened to and and has stories to tell so
2: i'm not trying to ask you to break is it hipaa
0: hipaa hipaa oh yeah
2: um i know better than that but (laughs) is there an example of a particular story where you were like i was i don't know you just had the had the um What's the word I want to look for? Like the head space and the heart space. So no, like, yeah, the Lord called me here. I was was his instrument and his vessel. Or maybe the exact opposite. Um, That person was the vessel for you Uh, with a patient, maybe in those passing
0: moments or making a phone call to the family or however. Sure. Um, I'm going to roll back actually to my first job in Washington State. I was working at a skilled nursing facility. And so that's a lot of times patients that come from the hospital that go to like a rehab center um, to get therapy before they go home. And they brought a patient in one afternoon and my boss was like, okay, this is like your afternoon schedule. You need to go evaluate this new patient. And from what I was reading in her chart, I was like, there is no way this patient is appropriate for physical therapy. Like this is not going to happen. And especially in a rehab setting like that, productivity is a really huge deal. You know, trying to bill as much as you can, see as many patients as fast as you can which is 100% not my style. You know, I like to be <laughs> slow, you know, with patients in the moment. I want to get to know them, kind of build that rapport. That doesn't look great as far as like billing and time. And so I went in thinking, you know, if this is appropriate, I'll do my job. But if it's not, I'm not going to fake something and just bill minutes just so we can get paid because um, that's that's fraudulent. And so, I went in the room and she might have actually even been on hospice at that time, which I'm like, therapy and hospice typically don't go together. They can in rare circumstances. But I went in. She was definitely alive, but not really responsive. I mean, not really responding to her name, not responding to like, can you squeeze my finger? Can you open your eyes for me? Some of the basic like alertness, you know, tests. And I knew within a minute or two of, you know, trying to just like stimulate her. I was like, anything I do is not going to be therapeutic. This is not going to be appropriate. I Like, I can't bill for any of this time. Like, what can I do, though, in this moment to just show her that I don't even know if she knows I'm here, but to <laughs> just like let her know that I'm here. And so I remember kneeling down next to her bed and I just put my hand on her shoulder and I prayed a Hail Mary over her. I don't even remember to this day if I prayed it out loud or if it was in my head. Um, But I remember feeling her just kind of relax. Underneath my hand, and so prayed the Hail Mary. Just kind of stood up and like slowly left her room. Just kind of like kept my eyes on her as I was leaving. And I went and talked to the nurse, and I was like, you know, this isn't going to happen today. We'll try back tomorrow, you know, if we can. Mm. But I, this is this isn't going to work. And I went home, and it was kind of on my heart all night. I was like, I wonder what happened. Is she still alive? Am I going to see her tomorrow? I don't know. And I came back in the next morning, and. Talked to the nurse and she was like, Oh, yeah, she passed within a couple of hours after you seeing her. Um, And I didn't know at the time that I saw her that she was that close to the end. Um, But sometimes patients on hospice kind of go up and down for a while or even come out of hospice. So I had no idea what she was going to look like the next day. But I just knew in that moment, like, I'm not a physical therapist. I'm just a human. Um, And that's what she needed in that moment. She didn't need me to get her moving, you know, like (laughs) she didn't need therapy. She needed, you know, she needed jesus she needed some peace mm-hmm. so that's beautiful That's really cool
1: it's a great story um that gets me, my mind going in a million different directions <laughs> me too father uh, <laughs> i'm glad you took I'd the mic to talk about <laughs> so many different things um a simple question though megan is since you're working with mostly elderly people do you find and maybe you're not in hospice and en- enough i guess to see this mm-hmm. maybe you are but are there very many people who die alone? Um, in the places that you've worked?
0: Sure, sure. I don't know as much, because when I was working at the rehab facilities, and most of facilities like that have a rehab side and they have like a long term care side, and most of the patients there for rehab are going to be rehabbable. You know, they're going to be able to go home and um, be on hospice or. You know, near the end of life is not something we're typically concerned about. Whether that happened on the long-term care side more often, I'm not exactly sure. But at the hospital, um, definitely more so recently, with the hospitals kind of being closed down over the to visitors anyway. Over the past couple of months, um, we've had a few patients who have passed without family members there, um, and they always, if they know the patients really close to the end, they'll call the family in and kind of you know, say, hey, I think you should come in. And there's definitely been exceptions for things like that. Um, and there was there was one day I was working not as physical therapist, but actually just at the entrance of the hospital kind of screening people coming in. Um, and we had a bunch of family members come in for a patient who had passed in the ICU who they had suspected probably had COVID but wasn't confirmed. And just having to walk two groups of family members down to the room and just watching them almost hit their knees on the floor because they hadn't been able to be with him at the end was really heartbreaking. Um, I don't know that that happens as much when we're normally functioning hospital. We're actually opening stuff back up now. So, Mm -hmm. typically at the end, I've seen um, family members with patients or friends Mm -hmm. in the hospital setting anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was curious. I mean, I I recall um, my first year of priesthood, which was my most busy in terms of anointings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of declined since then based on the parishes that I've been at, but our I had a, a distinct uh encounter with a man who just had no like family or friends and it was it was sort of this eerie slash sad slash mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it, but you know, in a hospital at ten o'clock at night and there's a few nurses at the nurses station and then he's you know, within a few hours of dying just by himself in this room. And, you know, um, I guess he was listed as Catholic on his,
0: okay, oh, wow. on
1: his, you know, info sheet or whatever. So I got a random call and went and, you know, it's just sort of, um, I wasn't sure how common that was. If you have people who, especially who maybe end up like homeless or, mm-hmm. you know, without any like consistent contact with family or friends, if, if many of them just sort of die you know, without anyone there.
0: Yeah. Um, And as a physical therapist too, we, I mean, we definitely have patients where, you know, unexpected things happen and they pass and we'll find out the next morning that so-and-so passed through the night. But a lot of times, if they're that close to the end, physical therapy is not something that's directly involved. You know, we know they're getting, they're not really appropriate. They're not responding consistently. It's, you know, with physical therapy, we want to work with the patient, not just do therapy to them. (laughs) And so we kind of back out towards the end of life too. And They let nursing and the physicians and stuff kind of take over and put them on, you know, comfort care hospice and just make them comfortable um, at that point. So that's and at that point, if we end physical therapy, you know, I'm not liable or not legal. It's not legally appropriate for me to really, you know, go into the chart and figure out what happened or, you know, unless I hear through, you know, just word of mouth at the hospital, how things worked out. But so I don't have a lot of access to that.
1: Yeah. You mentioned a couple of times, too, in that story with the elderly woman just about it's not really your MO to, you know, rush through things and do stuff for, you know, for the productivity sake or sure. however you want to put it. I've, I've heard that similar sentiment from, like, I feel what must be dozens of um, medical students and nurses. And I mean, if, if you were the CEO of a hospital, like what? What would you change in terms of policies for nurse doctor patient relationships? And
0: yeah, yeah, that's that's a hard one. I know that's something that I feel like every entity or every profession within the, the medical system is kind of trying to figure out. Hmm. Um, and I have patients comment on it all the time. They're like, you know, not to pat myself on the back. But they're like, you have spent so much time with me. Like I felt like I was listened to. And as therapists, I feel like we're blessed. We get to spend more time with patients. Um, we don't have as many patients as some of the doctors do. And um, the nurses are taking care of, you know, four or five, however many different people. Um, but when we're in there for therapy, like that's our only patient. You know, I'm not worried about the patient next door when I'm with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to, you know, get them out of bed, move around, you know, have those conversations as we're just, you know, moving Um but yeah, productivity is a really hard thing because I know like the business side of things, like companies, hospitals, organizations, they need to make money, and but people also need to be taken care of and not treated like they're a number. And so there's definitely a lot of research I know going down in physical therapy profession, all the professions. You know, how can we, you know, maximize profit, but also make sure that, you know, outcomes as far as the patient's emotional, mental health. You know, they feel like they were treated appropriately and they got the care they needed, not just physically, but um, in those other realms too. So I don't know if I was CEO, I don't know what I would change. I'm not super business minded, so I don't know I would ever get to that point. You know, I like being with the patient. I don't can ever see myself just sitting in a in a room all day at a computer crunching numbers or like working behind a desk. So I don't know. That's a really good question.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the more I meet all these awesome like catholic people who are starting in medical professions i just feel like you know what if we just started like our own hospital you know and that'd made be great it, like, <laughs> we have
0: enough people for every profession yeah, i'm sure you know, like, like every different
1: med students pharmacists yeah. therapists nurses yep accountants to run all the business stuff there we man, go you, you could start something so awesome
0: we could you have like have a to priest assigned rolling. as
1: chaplain you like you know you teach people about redemptive suffering and like yep. you uh take care of more than just the physical needs you know i don't know
0: absolutely Absolutely.
1: There's a mark. There's got to be a market for that.
0: There's got to be. Yeah, <laughs> start something revolutionary here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Good. Well, thank you for joining us, Megan. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah it was a
0: pleasure to be here.
1: Good. To, good to chat with you after we finally figured out how to set up all these new equipment, <laughs> which is really neat. We got these mechanical arms that are really awesome. Yeah, they're pretty swaggy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Well. Uh, any final words for our listeners? Oh goodness, Any gold, there's been golden advice.
0: Yeah, there's there's been this quote kind of rolling around in my head all day, and it's something that kind of ties back to my stories um, when it comes to like the mission trips and stuff, and kind of figuring out what like God calls you to in life. And I don't want to botch his name. I believe it's Frederick Beekner. Did I pronounce that right? I believe he's a Presbyterian minister, but he's written a lot of books. And um, he has a quote, and he says, "The place God calls you to." Is the place where the world's deep hunger and your deep gladness meet. Mm. So kind of, mm. you know, trying to find that middle ground and that um, that fine line of where do those two things intersect? Because that's that's the spark. Like that's where God's calling you in your life. And so trying to live for that and try to figure that out is kind of what we're called to on this this side of heaven. So that's just been rolling around in my head all day. So I thought I'd throw that out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I do too. Sort of... Uh god's given us certain gifts and when we find how those fill a hunger there's kind of a spark maybe that goes off absolutely yeah that's great good well that's all folks thanks for tuning in to uh the city on a hill podcast we will see you or well not really see you we <laughs> will uh you will listen to us next time if you choose to do so you have freedom <laughs> please
2: subscribe
0: today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Consider subscribing to our channel so that you never miss a future episode. And check out our website, pianzacityonahill.org, to see more about our organization or to see our calendar of upcoming events. And if City on a Hill has been a gift to you,
2: consider partnering in our mission as a monthly donor. See you next week.